Welcome back, everyone. This is Discussing Who. I am Kyle Jones, and I want to start this week by welcoming back Lee Shackelford. Lee, how are you? I'm pretty good, considering the quarantine and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, can't complain. All right. Well, I'm glad to have you here and glad, as always, to be able to say welcome back, Clarence Brown. Clarence, how are you? Doing good, man. Continuing the hunker down mode over here. <laughs> but overall, everything's going great, man. And as always, happy to be on another another episode of Discussing Him. Yeah. yeah. All right. So anything interesting happened in the lives of Clarence and Lee this week? <laughs> Not really, no. Yeah. It's kind of business as usual, right? Yeah, I went to the beach, caught a baseball game, you uh-huh. know, the usual. Yeah. That's you know. right. Oh, so had some, had some guys over to watch the game. Yeah, more than ten people. Yeah. So, in other words, you were all both delusional this week. Is that what <laughs> you're trying to say? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, in our dreams. Huh? Exactly. <laughs> well, I want to congratulate Lee Shackelford for officially being able to make fun of Batman versus Superman thanks to <laughs> an episode of Listen, Rants, Repeat. Wow. Yeah, well, I just I just said what was in the script that you wrote. So, but it is up on uh, listen, rinse, repeat now, and uh, is being enjoyed by one and all. I'm sure for well, people who have any idea what it's about. I mean, <laughs> you'll either get it or you don't. Exactly. Yeah. But I want to give a hats off and to someone who has never been on discussing who because I don't believe he watches Doctor Who, which is Clarence's brother, Carrie. Actually, I take that back. Carrie has been on discussing who. On an episode, episode 74, if I remember correct, because he and I kind of side swiped Clarence. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but we kind of (laughs) did the Clarence interview episode. That was episode 74. So, yes, Carrie has been on, but he did a fantastic job as the Joker. Yeah, I, I I said, and I'll say here again, Mark Hamill better watch his back. He's got got Carrie coming up on him. Indeed. Well, speaking of things that are like, <laughs> you know, breaking, breaking news. So speaking right. of the news. Insert teletype sound. Exactly. You know, that is one of the things I like so much about doing this podcast is being able to like figure out ways to say, well, speaking of that in the news. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of that in the news, Lee Shackelford, you have a question that we've been asking people recently. So why don't you talk about that real quick? Yeah. The three of us have been asked to write a chapter for a book that is going to be called Real Characters. And it's a, a semi-psychological study about um, fictitious characters and more importantly about how we relate to them. We as readers, consumers of media of all kinds. And uh, the three of us have been asked to write about the doctor. <laughs> so, which is great, of course, but we'd really like to hear from you, our listeners to this show, uh, and, and, and hear what you think about what it is that makes the doctor important to you. Why does the doctor matter? There's so many ways of phrasing the question and there are no wrong answers, of course. We, so we really want to know what you think. You know, drop some words down and send them to discussing who at gmail.com or you can even leave us a voicemail. But I can't remember the phone number, so I guess you can't do that. Or you could if that number (laughs) is 805-850-3946. Thank Jupiter. Somebody remembers that phone number. Yes, yes. Speaking of somebody that I want to thank, I know that they did another rewatch. And the entire Doctor Who family seems like from actors to writers to producers to showrunners – Everybody is seemingly getting into this. Let's all watch episodes together and live tweeting them. And Lee, you sent a video and I will insert the audio in there after we talk (laughs) about it of one particular actor that was responding to Journey's End. So you want to kind of fill us in there? Yeah. It's just to me, it's just the sweetest thing is uh, John Barrowman weeping as he watches. Everybody, including him, crowded around the TARDIS console at the end of uh, that episode. So that's what it's all about, all of us, 
around the TARDIS console. Look at that. <laughs> I'm a big softie. Anyway, that is the most amazing thing ever. Oh, beautiful. There we go. I'm a big softie. Sorry, Russell. Sorry, everybody. Love to you all. Gotta finish watching the end. Uh, he's so moved just by the image of all of these friends and companions there together, uh, all of the TARDIS. It's um, it's just it's just lovely to see him react so honestly and so deeply to that. Yes, 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 yes. And it was also, if, if I'm not correct, or if I'm not incorrect, excuse me, <laughs> this was done on Sunday, which also marks the anniversary of Elizabeth Sladen's passing. We as fandom received, I would say, a gift from Russell T. Davies that was then mm-hmm. read and then made into a, a video that was put on YouTube. So, Lee, why don't you tell us, and I know, I think you both have seen it, but tell us a little bit what that is, just in a nutshell. It's a terrific idea, and I, I just, I was just blown away by it, because since we're all in isolation, you, you couldn't do a, a sort of, um, memorial service for Sarah Jane, in which you got all of these, uh, you know, actors who've played, uh, characters, uh, from Doctor Who to get them all in the same room. But you could do sort of a video diary where we, you, where people are leaving their recollections, not of Liz Sladen, of course, but of Sarah Jane. And it is, uh, it's, the conceit is carried out so well. And for a lot of these actors that we haven't seen in a long time, like since the end of Sarah Jane Adventures, it was just, uh, so touching, so moving to see them again and to see them talking about this magnificent woman they've lost. So it's a way of talking about Elizabeth Sladen, whom all these people these the, knew and loved in real life, but they do it through the method of uh, doing a little Doctor Who adventure in which all these people talk about this companion who's gone. Mm. Um, so you both have listened to it all the way through. So really quick, without any spoilers, tell me and tell everyone listening, what did you guys think? think of that and clarence why don't you go first i kind of think lee said it well already but for me i don't know if it resonated as much because i don't i didn't know any of these characters who made these guest appearances but uh, i do do enjoy what they did with their performances i thought it was well done just a well-written story around remembering this character slash person that so many people in Doctor Who know and love. So I found it very touching regardless of me not <laughs> having ever seen one episode of the Sarah Jane Adventure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Lee, any other things you want to add before I give my two cents? Uh, I, I've been very curious to know what, uh, what, uh, how Clarence felt about that, not, not knowing, uh, Sarah Jane Adventures as, uh, as, uh, you and I do. So as you know, yeah. I sent you guys a picture <laughs> that I made it through 30 seconds. And literally yeah. could not watch anymore. I don't know. I want to see it. And what mm-hmm. I think I am going to do at this point is I'm going to actually watch series four or the five. I think it was four, yeah. wasn't it? Four? Uh, f- of Sarah Jane. Yes. Yeah, I think it's series four. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the last series, series four, I'm going to mm-hmm. actually go back and watch that. And then I'm going to listen to this. Because I think yeah. that way it's a little bit in chronological order, per se, since I've never oh, seen true. that. Yeah. What what I really find amazing is I didn't I thought this was just a narration. So I just now learned listening to you guys talk, which is the reason I was so quiet for a second. Mm. I had no idea that there were actually people who participated there, you know, loaned their voices other than the gentleman who was narrating. it. Oh, they're on camera. Oh, yeah. OK, so that. May, oh, wow. OK. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, so Kyle, and that makes it harder, believe me, because they are looking yeah. you in the eye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, Kyle, you definitely need to do this a la Seska says reaction style and <laughs> We want to see these tears flow. Man. No, Ooh, that's that's pretty personal. But uh, <laughs> if I can't, hey, John Berman can do it. If, if I cannot even let seriously, as soon as I realized, I mean, seriously, mm-hmm. that when it got to 30 seconds and I realized what I was listening to, I couldn't. I mean, it was like I, I, I just clicked and I was like, I can't I cannot go far. You know, I can't <laughs> go any further than that. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I want to tie that back to what. Your question was a moment ago, Lee, as to what does Doctor Who mean to us as the character? It, mm. I think necessarily Doctor Who, but the Doctor Who universe, what makes these characters emote to us in such a way that I'm sitting here kind of, you know, voice kind of quivering a little bit, talking mm. over a fictional character? Mm-hmm. That's right. And I don't know the answer to that, but I'm just posing oh. it out there to anyone listening. What is the answer? Why do they speak to us the way they do? And and that's what this whole book is going to be about, you know, with a whole host of fictitious characters. But it, it is a mystery. And I, I think it's a real important one that we we as people really need to we need to plumb the depths of this. How can we get so emotionally attached to fictitious characters? And and really there there actually is a a scientific, at least there's a theory, but yeah, we want to know what, what, what do people think? What are you, what are you thinking as fans of shows? Well, so. speaking of what people think, mm-hmm. Clarence Brown asked me a question the other night that he posed again last night on our recording of discussing Trek. And I asked him to pose it again to you tonight on this episode. So Clarence, mm-hmm. why don't you take it away? So the question I posed was, which franchise has the best villains? Or do both of them even have villains? Uh, that's something to ponder as well. Uh, Star Trek or Doctor Who? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess there's that troublesome word best again, right? What, what is mm-hmm. that? What does that even mean? Yeah. But there's a greater variety, wicked people and monsters in uh, Doctor Who. And that's often fun. I have trouble taking some of them seriously. Whereas <laughs> you think about the uh, Klingons or, you know, back in the, back in the day when the, they were the bad guys or, uh, the Romulans and many others in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't have any trouble taking them seriously sometimes. <laughs> Just, <laughs> well, what was your answer to that? What do you? So I kind of think what we came to on that was. Star Trek, other than, well, from my opinion, other than the movies, it doesn't really have sort of that tentpole villain that you can mm-hmm. just point at. And, and I think as Kyle said, there's most of the conflict is political interfaction or uh, faction against faction, you know. So that, that's kind of where we landed on that, that, uh, Star Trek doesn't really, hold up quotes, have villains. <laughs> but again, like certainly when we get to the movies, you have plenty of them to look at. Yeah. yeah and I would say that that's, Welcome to discussing Trek. I would say that that's just consistent with uh, with Roddenberry's vision of uh, uh, of the world and of the future too. That that very often the the person you think is your enemy is somebody with whom there's a misunderstanding. Yeah, that doesn't come up in Doctor Who so often. <laughs> um, you know, the Suntarans are just the Suntarans, and there's not you know uh, uh, to try to try to make a Jadoon laugh, you know. Mm. But um, but yeah, like uh, to to me, the great Star Trek villain is Khan, of course. Yep. But he's got a point. He's got <laughs> the man has a point, and and by and by, you just start to realize the real problem here is that he is nuts. You know, so and who's to blame for that? So uh, so uh, even there. So, and it's it's why people like Nero, for example, just aren't as interesting to me because I don't know. There's just no other layers to it. They're they're just yeah. angry and uh, <laughs> <laughs> very good segue because I was about to say. And speaking of people who are just plain nuts, yeah. Why don't we get into our review? The reason we are here tonight. I'm glad we remembered it because it is remembrance of the Daleks. <laughs> I guess it's time for me to say. If you have not seen Remembrance of the Daleks, go out, watch that story, put us on pause, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 
Spoilers. Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review Remembrance of the Daleks. This is the first story of season 25 of Doctor Who, and it aired in four parts from the 5th to the 26th, October 1998. Summary view. Clarence, I'll start with you. Summary view. What did you think of this story? Ah, uh, you can't see me, but I'm smiling right now. <laughs> I, I freaking love Ace Man. She's so awesome. She's so awesome. Oh my yes. Oh my goodness. Uh, every moment she was on screen, I just feel like she was badass. Don't take nothing. We'll charge in there with the best of them. Yeah, I love her as a companion, man. I really do. I really do. Um, as far as the episode, I think there was a lot of undertones they were trying to put in the episode. As far as some of the stuff we hear at the very beginning and then this Imperial versus these, uh, you know, this renegade faction, uh, I think they were trying to throw some things, some undertones at us that I'm not quite clear on, but I'm sure we'll discuss. I found that all interesting. Uh, I really enjoyed the doctor in this episode. I thought he was fun, much more co- coherent than he was in the, yes. <laughs> in, in the last episode we saw with him in it. Uh, so yeah, I, I very much enjoyed this, man. It, it was, you know, four, I think, pretty fun-filled episodes. There wasn't a lot of dragging going on or dragging in the story going on. So I, I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Awesome. So, Lee, what say you? Uh, I, I wrote a very simple response because I knew you would ask this question. I, I wrote, this is the antidote to time in the Ronnie. <laughs> because at long last we have Ace, the companion who doesn't scream. Oh. <laughs> Am I right? Mm-hmm. And there, there's so many other things to love about Remembrance of the Daleks, and I've seen it many times, and I, I think I enjoyed it more this time than ever before. It just, uh, it, to me, it just keeps getting better and better. <laughs> so, uh, what about you? This is another reason why I am so, 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 so happy, glad, ecstatic that we are going back and reviewing some of these older stories because we've talked before about watching these episodes in a different mindset because we're reviewing them. So for any time that I have ever said that I was not really a fan of The Seventh Doctor, this story and this mindset completely changed my opinion of Seventh Doctor and Ace. I had so much fun watching this. I would go so far as to say I could have easily almost forgotten that this was in 1988. I could have said easily that this almost felt like current Doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it feels very modern. Talking modern, what I found really interesting is this was season 25, so it's the 25th season, so it's like an anniversary season, and they start out by going back to the beginning. So, Lee, what did you think about the return to the junkyard, returning to Coal Hill School? And to me, it's, it's one of the fun things about this episode is that uh, we... Yeah, we literally go back to the junkyard at Totters Lane. We, we go to Coal Hill School, not just to Coal Hill School, but, but we see, uh, but Ace picks up a, a book about the French Revolution, exactly as Susan does in Unearthly Child. Oh, wow. And, uh, and in fact, I just read that, uh, Sophie Aldred, uh, when she saw that in the script, she made a point of watching Unearthly Child so that she could get herself framed in the shot the same way that, oh, that is uh, cool. That, that, uh, Caroline Ford did and so on. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. This is a script by Ben uh, Aronovich, uh, who is well known these days as the, the as the writer of a series of um, detective novels called The Rivers of London. Uh, but this is this is him when he was uh, just twenty five years old, and I just think it's a a great script. But and, and he's obviously a fan. He's so he's getting to sort of uh, you know touch on the show that he. Well, he would have been one year old when he, when the show began, but you know, this is the show he grew up with and he, and he's, he's having fun getting to go back to the beginning and he places the joke. I know we got, we got to get to this sooner or later, but, um, uh, Ace looks away just in time to miss Doctor Who coming on the television. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That was cool. That was uh, freaking cool. Little, little joke of Ben Aronovich's, but, um, well, they are in 1963. Yes, they are. <laughs> so the the significance of Doctor Who existing canonically inside Doctor Who is kind of staggering. Yeah. 
so it's a documentary then. Mm. <laughs> well, you know what? That reminds me similar to how they used to do in the Fantastic Four up until oh, yes. definitely into the 80s where they would right. refer to themselves as being, you know, Marvel Comics publish publishes our official our adventures. adventures. Yes, yes. And Stan and Jack would come sniffing around to find out what had happened. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, and Aronovich says, it's just a joke. It is never intended for anybody to take this seriously that uh, Doctor Who exists in Doctor Who canon. But <laughs> it's a funny idea. So, and as my son, uh, when we, he and I watched this one uh, several times together, and uh, he liked saying, Ace has the baseball bat of Omega. <laughs> which she briefly does <laughs> what did you think clarence i know you've seen you know an unearthly child any thoughts about seeing this junkyard again and then i'll give my idea uh, to be quite honest it didn't even jump out at me at all i mean i saw the sign i was like okay <laughs> you know and i know the significance there but it really didn't resonate to me as much maybe the school resonated more with me than the actual mm-hmm. um the junkyard yeah. in school for various other reasons. We've seen it many, many times over the years. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with you, Clarence, on the school. I will say this about the junkyard. It felt, no pun intended, bigger on the inside than it did the first time because I'm sure it was just a sound, sound <laughs> stage. That's the first right. Time. Yeah, this, this one was outdoors. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh. So a little side note to the gate going in. They misspelled Foreman this uh-huh. time around. Yes. <laughs> it's F-O-R-M-A-N, not F-O-R-E-M-A-N. But just looking at it, I didn't immediately catch that. Yeah, I had that pointed out to me, too. So what time period are they in on the first episode of Doctor Who? Are they not in 1963? I, I, I have always assumed that they are. Mm. Which is why it would be awkward if uh, Ace actually saw that episode, because... <laughs> she'd see that they're at Cold Hill School. <laughs> hmm. what, are they here right now? What, <laughs> what's, I don't. What's happening? Well, you so. know that was back in the days where it was such a bad thing. Remember, it was a not an animosity, but an atrocity, or you know, it was whatever Gat said in Series Twelve for t- for the two time streams to intersect. Right. What you're quoting, Gat? Yeah, you're, see, you're, I, I, oh, I'm, I'm okay. working on acceptance. All right. Okay. The other thing, and speaking of working on acceptance, I want you guys, after we finish, to go and go to YouTube and anyone listening to go to YouTube and search for Doctor Who Series 11 trailer. And it is specifically the one I'm meaning is the one where you see the companions sitting either at home or in a diner. And then you see the doctor outside. I don't think it is the same diner, but I got, whenever I was watching that, I kept going for the first couple of times I saw it. I was like, wow, this really kind of has a vibe to it. And then I was like, now I know what it is. It felt like that diner that they were in for that series 11 trailer. Mm, Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. You mean the the diner in uh, Remembrance of the Daleks? Yeah. Yes, yes. The diner from this episode mm-hmm. reminds me of the diner that the characters were in in the trailer. You mean the diner with uh, Jeffrey from Fresh Prince? Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was like, freaking Jeffrey! Hey! Wait a minute, what year is this? Yeah. <laughs> Which would actually be just, in time-wise, just a couple of years before he became yeah, Jeffrey. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah. yeah. It did have very much a sitcom feel to it, that diner. So it, yeah. it felt like other shows I've seen. Yeah, it's lit very flatly. And I, I have seen, I've never seen this with my own eyes, but I've seen photographs of this, that sometimes when uh, a shot in a, a shoot like this is supposed to be in a diner, and the point is that there's a big window through which you can look out onto the street, that one of the easiest ways to do that is to find the street that you want, and then you bring in a set portion that is literally that window and the chairs around it and (laughs) out there in the sunlight, you can just stage that scene, you know, and you frame it so that you can't see that uh, the actors are actually outdoors uh, up against this wall that has the window in it. But it it allows you to to get what you want and because what you're really focusing on is what's happening uh, outside the window. Um, Yeah. Oh, so they very well could have done that here. 
And, and that's why it looked familiar to you because that's a that's a that's a, a a trick that's used often enough that they would all kind of tend to look the same. Interesting. And considering yeah. what you were saying in regards to you, um, you know, they did not have much of a budget back then. That's mm-hmm. even more plausible. Yeah. Yeah. Which for some reason I felt like. They did a good job on a budget on this one. Yes, some- they did. Uh, there's actually there's a story about that, and I, I was just reading about this today. Uh, Andrew Morgan, who directed this, um, you may remember Andrew Morgan from directing Time and the Ronnie, <laughs> ah. and he was kind of eager to redeem himself. Uh, <laughs> and um, and he he read the script and saw a lot of potential, and so he just ordered things to be built for this. I mean that that's. That's not a um, a miniature when that Dalek shuttle lands. That's more or less like, I mean, when you saw the doors open and people yeah. got in and out of it and so on, they built all of that. And, of course, they're lowering it by on a, on a crane. But wow. in other episodes, we would have made that as a miniature and and we would have cut it in with color separation and it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have looked right. And, uh, you know, but um, no, he said, hey, let's just see if we can't build the thing. Yeah. So they ran over budget by 13,000 pounds and the BBC barred him for directing. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So yeah, it looks like there's a lot of money spent on this because Andrew Morgan was shooting. <laughs> yeah. He's betting the store. Yeah. Overall, I, I thought the effects that were used were really well done. Other than there's a few scenes with the shuttle landing that I thought were, were not great. But other than that, I was pretty well pleased with what they were able to yeah. accomplish. <laughs> it's interesting hearing that story about the budget. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it happens all the time. Well, but you know what? It tells us one thing. It says spend a little bit, you know, loosen the pocketbook just a little bit. Not, yeah. I'm not saying go go crazy with it, but loosen it just a little bit, and you have viewer reaction. I mean, same person that's you know directing it, but look at the difference in reception to Time in the Ronnie and this. Mm-hmm. Also, I noticed that the season, the episodes per season by these last few years are much shorter. Well, it's half as long. Um, yeah. Only about what, 13 or 14 episodes? Uh-huh. Which I found they're pretty interesting. I'm like, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And the, this is the time of, uh, of Michael Grade and he is, uh, doing his best to kill this show. But yeah, maybe if you're making fewer episodes, you do get to concentrate on each one a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe so. Well, yeah, that, that's what I keep wondering. When we have these 10 episode seasons, I think, hmm, we've been here before. Hmm. Well, all I know is I think I've made the decision that from henceforth, from this moment forward, every time we say Michael Grade, I'm going to insert booze. <laughs> Just thought that's B O O S. Yeah, right. Not so, those. We're, we're right. not going to raise the bottle and no. take a swig. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> to drink every time we say Michael Gray. Yeah. Michael Gray. Michael Gray. Michael Gray. <laughs> I learned that he. Uh, one of the things that he just likes to do is uh, 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 to uh, uh, let it be known that if people want to insinuate him into scripts. Uh, and it takes, you know, it's a TV show that takes place in the present day. That he'll uh, appear as himself. My wife and I were watching a uh, Jonathan Creek just the other day where there's a TV big shot. And he says, well, I can't stand here talking about this. I have to go meet with Michael Grade. Ah, oh, Michael. And the yeah. door opens and he goes out and shakes hands. And it's Michael Grade. <laughs> and he doesn't say anything. But that means he got a paycheck for being on a yeah. show. That... <laughs> anyway. Oh, that he's makes like, him He's like the worse. hype man or the producer that's on the stage, you know, with the rapper. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah the one that <laughs> nobody likes. Right. But <laughs> somebody that we did like in this yes. one was the doctor. And I want to put this one to Clarence first. And the reason being, you, you kind of mentioned how different this was compared to time in the Ronnie. So what would you say is the biggest difference between the doctor that we saw in time in the Ronnie and the doctor we saw in this story? I feel like it was less uh buffoonery going on. <laughs> I don't know quite how to put it. I felt like he was much more of my interpretation of how, how I feel a doctor should act and take command and be in charge. He was all of that. And I think one of the things that made him shine so well is Ace. I see what you guys have been talking about. They are great together. They really are. And the chemistry, I think it works well with her being, uh, portraying a little bit younger with him. 
I think that dynamic makes him better and, and it makes the, the duo pretty fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, agree completely. Um, yeah, this is the seventh doctor that I know. That's sort of why I was surprised uh, at how uh, off center he is throughout time in the Ronnie. But uh, and 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 credit must also be given uh, not just to um, Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred's tremendous uh, chemistry, but uh, uh, but to to Andrew Cartmel, who has his as the showrunner right now. He has the plan of getting the doctor more into the center of the action that, that somehow stories before this time uh, have sort of had the doctor being dragged into things uh, almost, um, you know, like he's not the one that the show's about, you know, the time in the Ronnie being uh, maybe a a good example of that. So he really wants the doctor to be the one who's making things happen. And so he, he, he tasks Ben Aronovich with this, this story that's going to be about, the doctor's got a, an errand. He's, and then, and he knows he's going to have these obstacles to overcome. And, uh, Ace is along for the ride. And it, it's exciting. Um, and we, we see the doctor being super smart as he should yes. be, but he also yes. gets, uh, he also gets flummoxed sometimes because sometimes the unexpected happens. And, uh, so he'll, he'll grab for, you know, an idea about how to deal with it. And sometimes he's wrong. And, uh, I just love it. I just. I, I definitely felt like he was clever or one step ahead, like I expect the doctor to be in, in this, uh, series. He was, uh, especially by the end there, he, um, uh, is way ahead of, of, you know, who at the end there. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I just feel like he was very smart. You can, I guess you can call it calculated, but that's what I've come to expect of the doctor to just be clever. And he was clever. Mm, very well said. And but for, from both of you, I thought that he was everything, like I said, that you guys just said. What I found most interesting about him was I think that when I've gone back and watched Seventh Doctor stories, even though I've seen this one before, they were only on a one watch through. Like, I'll tell you how long it's been since I've seen this story. I got it from Netflix back when Netflix sent you DVDs that that long ago. And I, I was just marveled at how much I enjoyed his doctor in this, making me want to watch more from him. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Can I can I just interject like what I don't like about his doctor? Sure. <laughs> Sir McCoy. I don't like the hat and I don't like the umbrella. <laughs> I, it it just something is just uh, I could take the hat, I guess, but the umbrella just had to go. It's just one step in the weird section really. because it <laughs> has a big question mark on it or just uh just in running around with, uh yeah. all day it just mm-hmm. feels weird and then and then the hat i mean i saw what the reason i don't like the hat is i saw a picture with him and uh sophie aldrich without he didn't have the hat on and they looked so freaking cool together i'm like <laughs> why, why does he have the hat i'll drop yeah. that picture somewhere in the chat but they yeah. look really cool together about the hat so Nitpicking. <laughs> do well, either it's, of you it's know the story behind that? I believe so, but all right. What do you think? And then I'll counter or agree. I, I just know that that the umbrella was something that was forced on him, and that um, that he he had the idea of of carrying it around in his in his suit pocket. You know that he hangs it on his own jacket, and that that was that was sort of a compromise. That uh, if I have to have this thing, and I'll carry it around because, of course, this was John Nathan Turner trying to sell the umbrellas. You know. Um, yeah. So that, but I don't, I don't know a story about the hat, I don't think. Well, no, no. What I was more so saying was not necessarily the hat itself, but that, that he, Sylvester McCoy, didn't care for all, just like what you were saying. He didn't like the umbrella. He did not like the vest with the, um, yeah. you know, with the question marks on it. He did get what he wanted to wear, but he was only seen wearing that for maybe two or three minutes at best. It was in the 1996 movie. You don't yes. see him wearing that. You see him wearing right. normal stuff. That's right. He has a red waistcoat on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he finally got to lose the question mark, uh, sweater and then they killed him. So spoilers. If he yeah. would have only known those question marks was protecting him all That's that right. Time. They were making him bulletproof. He had no idea. So here's something that I found interesting, and this makes me think again about how Chipnell may be more brilliant than Kyle, not we, Kyle is giving him credit for. (laughs) 
Because I remember last time it was like, you know, not Kyle, but anyway, that Kyle was giving him credit for is we see and hear in this story, there's the hand of Omega or Omega, however you want to say it, Mm -hmm. that the doctor basically hid there while Susan was attending Coal Hill School. Yeah, that (laughs) kind of came out of nowhere. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I went with it, but I was, of course, confused. But, you know, if you had to hide it somewhere, and it seems like a pretty good place. <laughs> I don't know. It was, it, was, it was interesting and weird at the same time to see that. Oh, I, yeah. I just think that that whole notion is fascinating that, that it suggests that this is even why the doctor came to the Earth in the first place. Um, that in Unearthly Child, the doctor says, how could, how could they uh, imagine what it would be like to be, to be renegades? And that was a mystery that was planted in 1963. But yeah, now it's sort of like, um, the, the series itself is saying, well, what renegade sounds like he's, he's running away or what d- did he do something or what? <laughs> well, he's got the hand of Omega. Um, so what were your thoughts about the concept of the hand of Omega? Uh, it's, it's what, um, Alfred Hitchcock called a MacGuffin. You know, which is just the whatever thing is that we're going to imbue with importance to the story. And then everybody's going to be after that, you know, the Maltese Falcon or whatever, you know, it almost doesn't matter. It's just the thing that everybody wants. Um, I do love that you can, um, by getting into the vicinity of it, you can turn an aluminum baseball bat into something that has superpowers. Um, <laughs> that's, that's my favorite part of that <laughs> whole thing. And, and don't you love that the doctor can order it around? Yeah. (laughs) And and nobody in 1963 didn't, you know, think the floating coffin looking thing was weird, you know. (laughs) And the interesting thing, we never see what's inside the casket, do we? No, no. We never see what it actually looks like. Interesting. I, You know, I keep (laughs) thinking this may be from watching, you know, the Avengers movies, I keep looking at it as like an infinity gauntlet that someone's mm-hmm. going yeah. to. Yeah. yeah. It needs like, to it, somehow be like a hand. Yeah. Feels Indiana Jones a little bit. Uh-huh. Ooh, a spoiler for End of Time Part 1 and 2, but I wonder if that gauntlet that Rassilon was wearing, if that was the Hand of Omega. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, they never yeah. really named what it was. No, no, he he just had it. Yeah, huh? I'd call that the hand of Omega. Hey, it, it, it can't be the, at that moment. It was the hand of Rassilon, but yeah. Um, I was talking about the <laughs> coffin. You, I'm sure you caught that the Undertaker uh, is surprised because he's blind. Yeah, and he's talking to the doctor, and he says that he thought he was supposed to be a an old geezer with white hair. That that's how he had been described to him, and uh, but that's who he was. <laughs> when the that undertaker encountered him last, so your voice has changed. Yes, your voice has changed. But if this is 1963, from the perspective of that undertaker, right? This may have been a week or two ago. Exactly, could have been <laughs> yesterday. We don't, we just we don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll break my brain, guys. Stop, stop it. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, since we don't want to break your brain, I'll break your ears <laughs> instead. And that, and that is by talking about. Compare, but this is a good way because I'm going to heal okay. your ears. I gonna, maybe I right. should say because I'm not going to get Mel in here again. No, no, no. But we are going to compare Ace and Mel. What yeah. w- you know, other than the screeching, what mm. was the one major difference between Ace and Mel? Is there really a comparison? Okay, I just know Mel from that one series, so maybe you guys can speak better. But man, Ace is just badass, man. I mean. She's walking around with a backpack with explosives <laughs> in it and a and this uh, powerful, uh, you know, uh, infused baseball bat. She's, yes, come she, on, man. Uh, she had a boombox. Yeah, she had a boombox. Boom come on, man. <laughs> come on. And she was able to keep the the baseball bat of Omega. That, uh, but yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> she took a boombox back to the sixties and didn't give a <laughs> crap about it. I'm walking down the street. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm changing the future of electronics. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and really, it's the, the the bat is one thing, but it's yeah, the, the Dalek calls her the, the, the small female. And she says, who are you calling small? <laughs> Wham. <laughs> who else yeah. would just walk up and hit the Dalek with a Yeah, see. Oh, bat? man. <laughs> oh, 
And that escape sequence when you, I think it's part of the same sequence you were just talking about when she yeah. gets out of the lab, mm-hmm. just freaking awesome. She jumps on top of the table, goes through the window, rolls, and then <laughs> makes it down the stairs. She she she's awesome, dude. I mean, you know, I've heard people Sophie say did a lot of her stunts too. I don't I don't know if she did that one. They probably didn't <laughs> let her jump through the window, like that. but it still looked cool. Still looked cool, yeah. But, you know, I have heard people say before, and now I really understand why, that if it weren't for Ace, we would not have the companions that we have today. And seeing her in this, I think I understand what they mean, because she is a template. The only thing that I would think would come close would be Sarah Jane. But she really kind of broke the mold of that damsel in distress and... You know, yeah. I need somebody in the doctor to come help me and rescue me. I think yep. she's more active than the companions we have now, in a sense. Uh, to me, she's maybe a product of the, 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 the 80s and 90s action movies, that type of character. It's even the companions today. I don't feel like from what I've seen from this episode, this series. So, you know, maybe it's up and down, but she's very much very active and in it and. Man, she she just don't take any crap. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. We we've only seen her once before in the continuity here, but we do know that um, one of the reasons why she's um, considered by many to be a juvenile delinquent is because she's um, discovered or invented this explosive that she calls Nitro Nine, and um, and w- the doctor at one point asks her if she's carrying it in her backpack, and she lies to his face. But I, what I love about that is he knows. <laughs> because then when they're confronted with the Daleks, he says, Ace, give me some of that Nitro 9 you're not carrying. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly. And later he says, I wish we had more Nitro 9. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I think that is another testament of what you're saying, Clarence, is you're talking about, and you're both talking about the chemistry and laughing and, and enjoying the chemistry th- that these two actors had. This is the first full story that they had together as companion and doctor. And you're saying, oh, well, this was so wonderful. This was so great. That's a testament to how well the two actors pull this off. And I, I think really the script and direction, because um, yeah. one of the things that struck me watching it this time was that um, Ace lets her hair down um, oh, in, in yeah. many ways, literally at some point. <laughs> Sophie has that gorgeous chestnut hair, but, uh, but we don't usually see what the companions are doing while they're being told to stay put. And we have a a pretty interesting subplot going with her. And it, it, what it does is it reminds us that she is not, she's not living to do whatever the doctor's doing. Her, her life goes on. Uh, And, uh, and I think that's, that's part of, that's one of the ways in which, um, without Ace, we wouldn't have Rose or Martha or anybody else. So, well, one other thing I want to mention before, or just as a side note to Ace, she likes bacon sandwiches. I yes. love bacon sandwiches, <laughs> not bacon, lettuce, and tomato, but bacon sandwiches. Yes. So bacon, bacon, and bacon. Yes. <laughs> so it was like, okay, I wish I would have known this, and then I would have been loving you all these years. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a. Um... There's a great scene with her. Uh, I think it was like the cliffhanger where the doctor gets locked in the stairwell and the dude like kicks her. And just to tell you how much she um, imprinted on me so quickly, I was pissed yeah. when, <laughs> when he need her and threw her on the ground. Do not, do not hurt Ace. Like, yeah. ooh, I was mad, but she, she got him gets, back. You know, <laughs> She got him. Yeah. Well, the doctor says, what's wrong with him? Stomachache. <laughs> it really is oh oh I, and um i wanted to, to point out the thing that uh that tickled me i i know i've i've uh, mentioned uh to you guys before that uh i've seen all of the various iterations of the uh the quartermass stories that was um a a, a, a british um science fiction adventures and in some ways kind of laid the ground for doctor who Anyway, uh, but but uh, uh, Bernard Quartermass works for the British Rocket Group in those stories, and uh, uh, there's just a, another little um, little joke in this script that when uh, Allison and Rachel are uh, leaving um, the room at one point, they're they're talking about how crazy all this is with the Daleks and everything, and uh, one of them says, uh, you know, uh, 
I should call Bernard, but he's having enough trouble with the British rocket group. Oh, so, that's cool. So, quite, so Quieter Mass also exists in the Doctor Who universe, and uh, <laughs> as does the show itself. Mm. But, Interesting. Well, you know, if you were to read the Day of the Doctor novelization, you might find out that the reason that the Doctor Who movies that that existed is because right. of the Doctor. That's right. That's another one of those things. Yes. Yeah. So, speaking of, and you just segued into that very well by mentioning uh, Rachel Jensen, I want to talk about the supporting cast real quick. You've got yeah. Group Captain Gilmore and mm-hmm. Professor Rachel Jensen. Mm-hmm. And, Lee, I want to point this one at you. Did they remind you of any characters that we've seen before? Well, the doctor calls group captain, he calls him brigadier at one point. And I love that. But I wondered if I was imagining it just because I, the, the we've been so encouraged in this episode to be thinking about the early days of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. But the first time I saw um, Dr. Jensen, right? Right. Uh, I thought, is she supposed to be Verity Lambert? Oh, that's good. I didn't think of that. But because uh, if I understand right, Verity Lambert was sort of a, a trademark of hers was the little pearl choker. Like, uh, like this, uh, scientist has, but, um, and, and she's sort of tall, you know, queenly woman. It's 1963. And, but that means that she also looks like Barbara, who people always said was sort of, um, uh, Verity Lambert's avatar on Doctor Who. So is, is that what you're going for? No, but I love that. You know, where I was actually going was I thought that that was a nod to the, first season with the third doctor when he first mm-hmm. was at unit and you had um oh it, she was before uh liz show i mean yeah liz show no, it is liz show it yes. is liz show uh, right. that i'm talking about right but i did think that it looked or she looked and favored what barbara would have looked like but then if you go into this was the same time frame that barbara came from it made perfect sense but yeah. i love the verity lambert connection which may just be my imagination but uh but yeah i mean certainly the the group captain in every way is going to have to remind uh, the doctor of uh, the brigadier uh, and of course the group captain doesn't know what he's talking about but right. <laughs> it's just like no we've got the guns we need to fight these things off it's like no you don't how many times <laughs> do i have to do this <laughs> well we've not talked about the big bads of the story in specific we've talked vaguely we've danced around them but we had the daleks returning or as um ace would said the dalek so the daleks have returned what was your thought and i'm going to point this one to you clarence because you mentioned it earlier this idea of dalek fighting dalek what was your thoughts on that uh so i i don't you know Hmm, how can I say it? I don't know what they're really going for because to me it felt a little muddled because I'm like, are we trying to, um, bring up some of the World War stuff here? Um, German, you know, purity race type of stuff. I felt that a little bit. Then I felt like, are we going for the racial divide here? Which I think they do mention that they're an altered version of the Dalek. Therefore, they're not pure. Mm-hmm. Um, so different. And I even play a little bit of uh, Martin Luther King at the very beginning of the mm-hmm. series. That's right. So it seems like they're going for two separate things that are kind of similar. So I, 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 I like the undertone of that message and they just didn't hammer us over the head with it, but it was in the episode. If you dug, dig a little deep to see the differences between these two. And other than that, I'll just add real quick before I hand it off. I like the fact that the doctor was able to explain Genesis of the Daleks in like, a minute of talking. Yeah. <laughs> I really appreciated that. How come I couldn't have got that in New Who somewhere? Because I really appreciated that, man. Yeah. <sighs> That's a good point. Yeah, he does. He gives it to Ace while they're sitting in the car. Yeah. <laughs> it's the whole, it's awesome. <laughs> the whole plot. Yeah. <laughs> Took him six episodes to do it on the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lee, what say you? What did you think of Dalek v. Dalek? I, 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 Clarence, I, th- I think you're, you're, your instincts are probably right about that. I, I, I don't know for certain, but, but I mean, the Daleks have always stood in for, for Nazi idealism, for fascist idealism on the show. And that was by design. That's what, what Terry Nation always uh, wanted was for them to, to be the sort of 
uh, what makes them pathetic is the, the racial purity thing. And so it, it can't be a coincidence that, um, we have that, that moment where Ace sees the sign hanging in the, the window of her, her boarding house and turns it around and she, she just can't believe what she's seeing. And of course, this is Mike's mother who owns the place. So, you know, that's got to be sort of changing how she thinks about Mike. It's like, I'm going to ask him about this. <laughs> yeah, great. I read that uh, Andrew Cartmel and uh, the director, that they both said their one regret about that was is that she should have torn it up. Yes, I read that. I remember saying that. But yeah, so, you know, it's, it's 1963, uh, and, and here are the, and, and, and here are the Daleks trying to kill each other because one of them is somehow slightly different from the other. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. We get it. <laughs> so I think, Lee, you said that one of the cliffhangers really you thought was really, really good. What did you think seeing it the, for the very first time and seeing a levitating Dalek? <laughs> And that's for Clarence, right? Or, or either one mean, of you. Yeah, I, I, I do remember the first time I saw it. And of course I was seeing it in continuity. So I hadn't seen any of the flying Daleks that we have now. And I just remember thinking, uh oh, <laughs> you know, okay. So these new Daleks can go up the stairs. This is going to change everything. But yeah, it was, you can imagine that for the, for the, the, the long time fans at the time, that was a, a great way to end the episode with the doctor just sort of staring at it like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make a joke like, well, actually, that occurred in, in the reboot uh, in the episode Dalek. That's where that actually occurred. That's true. Um, no. Yeah. This is this is awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. Because I remember you mentioned it before when we reviewed that episode and you were talking about, yeah, when this first happened, it was awesome because the doctor oh, okay. Dalek was there. <laughs> So yeah, seeing this, I thought, okay, that's really freaking cool. That they they can even pull off that effect. I mean, I guess it is the late eighties, but still, it looked pretty freaking cool. Yeah. and I, I pretty much enjoyed that. It was great. And you know, I tried to put myself in the mindset of someone watching it in nineteen eighty eight and seeing that, and you're watching it going, "Oh crap, a flying Dalek." We've never seen this before. You know that because to us, watching it in twenty twenty, it's like. Oh, no big deal. But the first time seeing it, that's cool. They fly now. They fly now. <laughs> <laughs> this is all we need. <laughs> we see the return of one of my favorite crazy people from Doctor Who, <laughs> Davros. What did you think of Davros's head covered in, uh, you could, I mean, it basically looked like you're wearing a sweater with a bunch of, of wires glued to it with your because he was <laughs> yeah but um the last time we'd seen him <laughs> reverse spoiler for a a, a six doctor adventure <laughs> that we had seen that his that uh, all that's left of him is his head and they had his head kind of in a bubble so now we're seeing him again and we know that this is all that there is of him but um yeah it's it's not a convincing <laughs> effect this time <laughs> what did you think of seeing our favorite maniacal <laughs> screaming uh davros clarence i have to say i was a bit surprised at the reveal um i thought that the who we come to learn is a little girl on the battle computer i thought that was davros i thought that was him i'm mm. like we finally got the reveal the little girl i'm like no, what what so two surprises. That was one. And then when we finally got the, <laughs> the bald Dalek, what I have written down here, uh, <laughs> I have bald Dalek and I have machine gun Dalek written down. Yes. Both, both of those in episode. But, but yeah, the, the reveal certainly got me, uh, 100%. I thought, Oh, cool. <laughs> mm. about I, you, I shared on uh, Slack a couple of pictures with both of you. Uh, one of them is, of the um, special weapons style, like it's called, uh, uh, from the Doctor Who exhibition. I thought that the, the picture was of me posing with it, but uh, but it's not. It's just one that I took. But uh, I have seen that one, and you know, all, all these years later, it still looks pretty pretty intimidating. But uh, the other thing was a clip from uh, the Jetsons, um, because the um, the Dalek Emperor, as you say, the bald Dalek, it made me think of Uniblab, but. Uh, <laughs> But you, you have to, yeah. you have to have grown up with the Jetsons as I did to get Uniblab anyway. Well, one thing I think that was cool that they did was for the character, I think that the little girl Dalek wound up being, they used John Leeson, who is the actor who did the voice of K9 to do that 
to kind of make you think that that was Davros? Is that how it went down, Lee? Yeah, they they asked him if he could if he could do kind of a Michael Wisher screamy voice, and uh, yeah, and, and it worked. Fooled Clarence, didn't it? Yeah, again, hundred yeah. percent. Are there any other points that you guys wanted to bring up before we get to our favorite scene? How do we feel about the Doctor completely annihilating the entire planet of Scott? <laughs> I guess Web is not bad. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he won't handle a gun, but he will turn a planet star supernova. Um, ouch. Yeah, that especially when you think of the impact of what happens once we get to New Who, of of how it torments him as a character. Um, yeah, yeah. That 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 was weird to see, <laughs> and he did it in a semi triumphant. Oh, I tricked you moment. Right. Uh, which is just <laughs> shocking. <in a> <laughs> really? <laughs> if, if you're taking this seriously at all, yeah, you're, wait a minute, you did what? <laughs> but see, we've heard the 10th Doctor say, I've convinced people to take their own lives, and I've done, you know, yeah. I may not have done it by my own hand, so this is evidence of what the 10th Doctor was saying, and I think Russell T. Davies has gone so far as to say you could take this as being one of the events that started the Great Time War. Yeah, yeah. Mm. This, 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 he, 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 he's, he's won this round, but yeah, he may have precipitated the time war here. <laughs> wow. All right. Any other items before we get to our favorite scene? Not for me. Oh, uh, what else? No, I don't. Oh, caretaker was mentioned. The uh, Cole Hill School, uh, the guy that he first, it might have been Ratcliffe. Was right. It was one of the characters. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he asked him, Oh, are you here for the caretake, caretaker position? Now, I wonder, was that like a <laughs> precursor to Peter Capaldi's doctor being the caretaker? Yeah, I think that's fine. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I, I think so too, because if I would have, I would have definitely, when we saw that, said, Oh, well, you know, blah, 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 back in remembrance, if I would have known that. So yeah, it had to have been. Totally had to have. Been. All right. So favorite scene, and I'll go first this time. Favorite scene. I really couldn't pinpoint one down. I almost wanted to say the baseball bat when she was hitting the Dalek, but I'm going to say Davros reveal because I just like Davros. So my favorite scene <laughs> was Davros reveal. All right, Lee, favorite scene from you. He's so nuts. Um, well, this just shows what a nerd I am. I think, uh, even more so than the fact that we're, talking about doctor who but uh i love more than anything else in this whole uh, episode that, that they took the time to make this effect work but when one of the daleks is beaming in on the transmat there's just a moment where we see a sort of an x-ray view and we can see the whole creature inside yeah and that should settle once and for all how much of the inside space of that <laughs> tank is occupied by a Dalek. And it's a lot, but yeah. the, 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 it's still a blob, of course, but we can see that he's got sort of pseudopodia that are down inside the machine, you know, at, like they would be operating part of the machinery and so on. It's just, there's a whole lot of thought that's put into that little moment. And I just, I just love it so much. So um, that's really my favorite scene the out of a lot of things in this uh, this series that I really love, but that's mine. Clarence is going through the window. I I already know. Oh, uh, how do you? Uh, that's, well, the <laughs> window was involved, but not the window uh, that I brought up earlier. Oh, okay. uh, you know, I, I love the I love the A scene. That's probably my number one. The A scene jumping through the window. But I wanna I I can't you know get off this podcast without mentioning the Doctor with the tightrope uh, umbrella. A good use of umbrella actually. To uh, actually slide down the uh, rope into yeah. the spaceship, <laughs> I, I almost thought they were going to go five doctors, and he was going to do like the James Bond crawl across the <laughs> the line. I'm glad they didn't. The umbrella was used quite well, so I can appreciate that. <laughs> wow, I'd even forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah, that was that that, that was cool. And you know, I, I want to give an honorable mention, and this is another tip of the hat to Sylvester McCoy. Like at the very beginning when they 
uh, first arrive and they're at that van and he just walks in and just takes control <laughs> or, or climbs in and just takes yeah. control without a missing a beat. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, have you been helped? <laughs> Can I? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So favorite quote and Clarence, I'll start with you this time. Favorite quote. Oh man. So we didn't really talk about Mike, Sergeant Mike, but no. you know, he's whatever, you know, he's kind of doing bad things there, but you know, he got his comeuppance, I guess, but he, he confront, he confronts Ace and he says, uh, and this was in reference to him still, what, did he still the, uh, oh, he knew what the, uh, arm of, uh, Omega was, of the hand of Omega was, he knew what it was mm. and they started looking at him crazy. And uh, he makes the comment that I was just doing Mr. Ratcliffe a favor, to which Ace says, do me a, do me a favor and drown yourself. <laughs> I'm like, whoa! I almost fell on my seat! <laughs> oh, okay, <Tea> so... Time. <laughs> Meanwhile... Uh... <laughs> oh, and I saw the sign your mom has in her window. <laughs> Just want to mention... Oh man, Ace don't take no bull, man. No, nope. that that one was so good that that one's going to make my quote look downright <laughs> sappy. Well, um, but, but that was good. So, Lee, what was your favorite quote? Um, I'm tempted to go with um, just because I know that Sylvester loved saying it so much. I didn't expect two Dalek factions, and now I've got to make sure that the wrong ones don't get their grubby little protuberances on it. So, oh, wow. You do that very uh, well. Thank you so much. But really, if I have to pick a line from the script, I do also love this. The doctor says, just shaking his head, your species has the most amazing capacity for self-deception matched only by its ingenuity when trying to destroy itself. Yeah. Oh, you got it. <laughs> That's Ooh. us. All right. I'm glad you picked that one because I almost did. So I'm glad yeah. you picked it. The one <laughs> I picked was every great decision creates ripples, like a huge boulder dropped in a lake. The ripples merge and rebound off the banks in unforeseeable ways. The heavier the decision, the larger the waves, the more uncertain the consequences. Just like yeah. that. That's great. All right. So what's also great? Final rating. And you know what? I'll start with this one. Final rating, because I, for all the things I've already said in this podcast about Ace and the Seventh Doctor, I'm going to give it a 4.75. I really, really, really enjoyed watching this, more so than any recent rewatching of a Doctor Who story that we've done at, on this podcast that has been in the classics. So I really enjoyed it. 4.75. Clarence, what say you? I will give this five rainbow Dalek blasters out of five. <laughs> there you go. All Outstanding. Right. All right, Lee. I'm going to give it five grubby little protuberances. <laughs> Same thing. You know, we, before we get away from it, um, two things actually. Uh, one of them not related to this show, but uh, uh, we, we didn't talk at all about uh, seeing the doctor's signature. Hmm. Okay, so can can I can I do something real quick before we talk yeah. about that? Because I'll forget yeah, yeah, yeah. it. I'm right. going to give point twenty five percent of bacon sandwiches to make it a five. <laughs> the more I yep. think about it, all right. Yep. So the doctor patted it in with bacon sandwiches. Yes. Uh, yeah, he we, he he writes a card, and there's a there's um you know an early Gallifreyan an early look at Gallifreyan writing and um. And and it's closed with a seal that looks almost like a question mark, but not exactly. Mm -hmm. I'll find a screenshot of it. And, yeah, and I remember yeah, it's that. And, and this is something that I did want to mention, and we'll re briefly, real quick, talk about it. Part of this introduced this concept that the and and this is where I was trying to go whenever I was saying about Chibnall being brilliant in mm. the sense of. The doctor being more than what we knew. Right. Right. And one of the reasons why I wanted us to, to now go look at more of seven doctor stories, because that was the, um, what's now called the Cartmel master plan that, uh, that, that, uh, Cartmel really did want to, to, to really go with that, to explore the mystery of the doctor. 
in, in ways that would be dealt with in the story, not literally covering him with question marks. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> oh, boy. But the other thing I wanted to mention that uh, when I was listening to last week's episode, I realized that we said that um, Rory's story and the Raggedy Doctor were written by Stephen Moffat. Uh, Rory's Doctor was written by uh, Neil Gaiman. Oh, that's right. You're right. You're right. You're right. And um, something else about that. Oh, we were also calling the later one Rory's story, but the one that Arthur Darville, of course, does is Rory's story. And then the one that Caitlin Blackwood narrates is The Raggedy Doctor. The but Raggedy anyway, Doctor. yeah. But yeah, I just want to make sure we gave props to Neil Gaiman for that. So anyway. Cool for him. And, and, and thank you for remembering that. God. All right. So I'm going to remember that in order for us to close this podcast, otherwise we would be talking in, to infinity is to say and beyond and beyond and to infinity and beyond dun, 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 is for me to say, Lee Shackelford, where else could you be found on the Internet? I'm going to keep pushing people towards uh, relativitypodcast.com, which is undergoing kind of a facelift because um, the show is on hiatus. So I'll tinker with the website instead. <laughs> Cobains. <laughs> what about y'all? All right. Clarence. Uh, I'm going to point people to a contest that I'm running right now for discussing Trek, which is open to anybody. It can be found at patreon.com slash discussing Trek. And the contest is actually Doctor Who related. So there is an image and I'll uh, give the post a cow to drop in the show notes. But there is an image of a certain doctor and a certain captain and whoever can, you know, create the best caption for that image could win a season two Star Trek Discovery Blu-ray and also a one twenty five hundred scale model of the Discovery. So what? check that out. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, you know what? I think I will point everyone to discussingnetwork.com because that takes you to all of our shows and that we're working on. So yes, discussingnetwork.com. So as always, thank you everyone for joining us and we will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.